welcome to The Rest Stop. I'm your host, Anna Holmquist. Thanks for bearing with me as I took a little break. It's a lot of work to create two podcasts on top of a full-time job and a band, especially when you're trying to re-enter society to some degree. But here I am again, and I wouldn't mind if you wrote us a nice review on Apple Podcasts. Remember the cafeteria growing up? Plastic hot lunch trays, limp vegetables and grayish meat, and to wash it all down, milk from a paper milk carton. It's been a long time since I pulled open a carton of milk, and a long time since I messed it up and had to try again on the other side. In fact, it's been a while since I've had a tall, cold glass of any kind of milk. I grew up in Wisconsin, so I'm a dairy guy at heart, but these days it's mostly cheese, unless I'm having a chocolate chip cookie fresh out of the oven, or some Oreos. My problem with a large quantity of milk is that when milk gets warm, even sort of lukewarm, I really don't want to drink it. I'm reminded of the milk was a bad choice scene from Anchorman. Now let's imagine, say, that somewhere out there was a giant milk carton or bottle sitting out in the sun. I'm trying not to think about the smell. Of course, the giant milk bottles and cartons we're discussing today never actually contained milk. We start our journey in Oklahoma City at the Milk Bottle Grocery on Claussen Boulevard. The building has a large metal Brahms brand milk bottle on the roof. The building itself is triangular due to its location on a corner lot and was known as the Triangle Grocery from 1940 to 1948. After that, when the milk bottle was added, the name was changed. It was added to the National Register of Historic Places on March 5, 1998. If it's your dream to live in a giant milk bottle, you can kind of do that in Richmond, Virginia. A building featuring three big bottle-shaped structures on the corners has been converted into the Richmond Dairy Apartments. Unsurprisingly, the building is an old dairy factory. Here I'll read a fascinating comment from Julie on Roadside America's page about the building. It is interesting to note, as it is mentioned, that the derelict building with the giant milk bottles was used as artist studios in the mid-80s, that semi-famous and certainly notorious Richmond thrash metal monster band Guar got its start here. They were basically a bunch of homeless squatter punks in the building, and a collaboration between a bizarre little band called Death Piggy and some amateur would-be sci-fi movie makers evolved into the weird costumed band still actively touring today, well into its 27th year. Detailed descriptions for those not easily offended by sordid content can be found at rvanews.com under lead singer Dave Brocky's story Guar, Me, and the Onrushing Grip of Death in the early to mid installments. Over in Spokane, Washington, the Benoit Milk Bottle is also on the National Register. The landmark, completed in 1935, is stuccoed from its base to where it begins to taper to the bottle's neck. The neck and cap are sheet metal over a wooden frame. There are actually two milk bottle buildings in Spokane. It seems like one you're no longer able to go inside of, but one you can. In 2011, one of the bottle buildings was damaged badly in a fire, but it was restored and rebuilt in all its wholesome glory, 
and is now a charming-looking diner called Mary Lou's Milk Bottle. They do, of course, serve milkshakes. When they were built, company ads said the bottles were designed to build better men and women by making dairy products attractive to boys and girls. No expense will be spared to make these new stores as sturdy as fine and as good as the products they represent. Montreal, Quebec, Canada is home to the Guaranteed Pure Milk Bottle Water Tower. Weighing in at 13,000 pounds and standing 33 feet high, the Art Deco structure was designed in 1930 by architects Hutchinson, Wood, and Miller as advertising for the Guaranteed Pure Milk Company, founded in 1900. It stopped being used as a water tower in the 1970s, but stayed with the building as it was sold. In 2009, it was restored after years of disrepair, thanks to volunteers, $100,000 in private donations, and lobbying by Heritage Montreal. Rounding out our tour of the bottles is the Hood Milk Bottle in Boston. It's right next to the Boston Children's Museum. Arthur Gagner built the wooden bottle in 1930 and put it next to his store to help sell his homemade ice cream. He sold it in 1943, but it was later abandoned in the 60s. A dairy company called H.P. Hood & Sons, Inc. was eventually persuaded to buy it and give it to the Children's Museum in 1977. These days, it acts as an ice cream stand and snack bar in the summer, and sometimes movies will be projected on its white side. This big boy stands 40 feet tall and is 18 feet in diameter. According to Atlas Obscura, it would take over 58,000 gallons to fill it. That's a lot of hot milk. But we're not done yet. We also have to consider the giant milk cartons, of which there are many. First on my list is in Presque Isle, Maine. It stands right outside the Holton Farms Dairy and acts as a cute photo op. A similar photo op presents itself in Athens, Georgia, where a large carton stands that's been painted with the University of Georgia's bulldog mascot and colors for some reason. At this point, though, the carton is pretty faded. Over in Eden, North Carolina, there's another milk carton that sits atop a pole. It used to advertise a dairy store in Burlington, but then was moved to Eden, outside Vernon Family Dairy. Would you be surprised to hear that there used to be a place called Dairy World? I bet not. I'll read here from a Quahog.com article about it. From 1997 to 2000, Nature's Best Dairy conducted tours for more than 50,000 visitors at Dairy World, located in its Cranston facility at 2032 Plainfield Pike. And why not? Who would pass up the opportunity to look behind the scenes of Rhode Island's largest processor of fresh milk and juices? It was just like on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, when Picture Picture showed you how candy was made, except you were really there. During those years, school and church groups, Cub Scout packs, Girl Scout troops, and random tourists searching for a quirky thrill all found their way to Dairy World. There, they were greeted by a mechanical talking cow who ushered them into a world of lactose delights. Upon paying the $1 admission, the first stop was a small amphitheater 
where visitors sat on carpeted risers to watch an informative video narrated by a Scrappy-Doo-esque milk carton character. While learning about the disturbing origins of all their favorite dairy products, children were also treated to excellent examples of porno film-style wah-wah guitar on the soundtrack. Shielding their eyes against the glare of the overhead fluorescence, visitors then stumbled back out into the front area where they could push buttons on interactive displays covering the evolution of the paperboard milk carton before moving on to learn all they ever wanted to know about the history of refrigerated transportation. Imagine the excitement on a young child's face as she watched all four stomachs of a life-sized fiberglass cow light up one by one. Their button-pushing desires sated for the moment. Tour ticket holders were then led to the production viewing room, where they could observe milk and juices being processed and packaged. Now was the time for folks to ask the tour guide all of the milk questions that had been building up inside them their whole lives, like, why do I hock up so much phlegm after I've had a glass of milk? Is yogurt really alive? And the ever-popular, what's the difference between double cream and whipping cream? These are truly great questions, but sadly, on August 8th, 2000, the doors of Dairy World closed for good. But don't despair. You can still pay a visit to Stu Leonard's world's largest dairy store. It's in Norwalk, Connecticut, and Stu Leonard is the guy who started a small retail dairy store back in 1969. It was called the Disneyland of Dairy Stores by the New York Times because of its costumed characters, scheduled entertainment, petting zoo, and animatronics throughout the stores. Apparently you can see a singing carrot and broccoli and tug on a cow to hear it moo. That's not all. In 1992, the store snagged an entry in the Guinness Book of World Records for having the greatest sales per unit area of any single food store in the United States. In that same cafeteria where I drank my cartons of milk, celebrities proudly sporting a milk mustache smiled down at me from posters asking the iconic question, Got milk? In retrospect, it was a strange ad campaign. Created by the advertising agency Goodby Silverstein and Partners for the California Milk Processor Board in 1993, it was later licensed for use by milk processors and dairy farmers. It launched with the now-famous Aaron Burr television commercial, directed by none other than Michael Bay. That's right, Michael Bay, of Armageddon, Transformers, and Big Explosions fame. The national campaign, run by the Milk Processor Education Program, added the Got Milk logo to its milk mustache ads beginning in 1995. Here's a fun fact I found while researching. In 2002, a Washington State resident applied for a vanity plate reading Got Milf. This plate was approved but was later canceled after complaints were filed against it. Spoil sports. Like I said, I still consume milk here and there, and use it in cooking, like when I make boxes of Annie's shells and white cheddar's mac and cheese, for example. But I'm feeling nostalgic now for the 90s-era omnipresence of cow milk, our firm belief that it made us wholesome and strong, the encouragement of everyone from Britney Spears to Frankie Muniz to drink a glass or bottle or carton with every meal to wash it down. But really, I'm just nostalgic for being a tween, 
before responsibilities and bills and a greater knowledge of the ills of the world. Milk to me these days tastes like the sweet nectar of ignorance, something that marked the time before I became an adult and lost my childhood innocence. A time before I had heard the phrase, got milf. Have you visited any of the milk-focused places I mentioned? Have a story to share? You can email me at reststoppod at gmail.com. That's R-E-S-T-S-T-O-P-P-O-D at gmail.com. And I might read your email on the next episode. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at reststoppod. I really need to make another TikTok. Stay tuned for the next episode in two weeks. And thanks for listening. Don't cry, my dear, over something you spilled if it's just milk. It's just milk on the floor. And it's just me. It's not you.